Welcome to American Riviera Bank Regional Pulse. This is Michelle Martinich. I'm the Chief Financial and Administrative Officer at American Riviera Bank. And today I'm here with Daniel Koenig, who's the head of IT at Invoca. Daniel is the senior technology leader with over 15 years of experience in information technology and business systems. Invoca is an AI-powered call tracking and conversational analytics company that brings the depth of marketing. So they are very concerned with keeping um, consumers and businesses safe through the calling network and lots of other cyber risk. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about cybersecurity and ways for you to know what that means and ways to protect yourself and your business. So welcome, Daniel. Happy to have you here with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So why don't we start with just what is cybersecurity? Yeah, if I had to sum that up in one sentence, it's basically all about protecting yourself or the business that you work for from digital threats. That's what cybersecurity is. So then cyber threats. Yeah, um, so cyber threats uh, are basically uh, the ones that people most encounter and that we see today a lot are uh, usually malware. Um, that's a big one. It's when you think about viruses and, and, and things like that. Um, ransomware is another big one. It's actually included in malware, but it's it's uh, we've seen it a lot more over the last couple of years. So I pointed it out here separately. Phishing, I think we've all heard and, and been uh, maybe exposed to or, or familiar with. And then a big one is social engineering. Uh, it can be online. It can also be offline with calls. We talked about that a little earlier before the podcast. Um, yeah, there are uh, a lot of threats out there for sure. So what would what is malware? That seems like a important word to understand. Yeah, so um, malware is usually something you, you download from the internet or you get an email and it has an attachment. Uh, and then you open it and it does something that you don't want it to do. Uh, that could be stealing passwords, for example. Uh, it could give someone else access to your personal documents, personal files, um, things like that. Um, there's actually a, an interesting... Uh, story, uh, if, you, if you think about, like, you go about your day uh, and then you get an email all of a sudden from um, your electricity company and, and, and you look at the email and, and you see that they're saying you're overdue on an invoice and then and you think about it and, and uh, you remember, hey, I paid all my invoices, everything should be due. So you're very curious, you look at the attachment, open it, and it's done. It's an email that someone set up, it looks like an email. Uh, from the electricity company. It's not, you opened the attachment and something got installed. You might not even notice it, nothing happens, or the, the PDF is just empty, or it's some type of invoice uh, that doesn't mean anything, or you forget about it. But your, your, your computer is compromised. They're so clever because I feel like a lot of the times when I see those, they're on point. It might be that I am waiting for a package from FedEx or mm -hmm. that it's the holidays and gosh, maybe my secret aunt I didn't know about in Idaho is sending me and my kids a Christmas present and I need to respond to the lost um, UPS package. Exactly. So what are some ways that I could identify that, that, that maybe I shouldn't click on it or return the phone call or even just responding sometimes can be dangerous, right? Exactly, yeah. I think a, a good way is always when you get the email, look at the content and just assess if it makes sense or not. Would the, in this case, a utility company or an electricity company, would they send an email like that? 
is it consistent with what you have received in the past? Just does it make sense? Uh, and then you can look at the sender. You can look at their email address. Is it actually an email address from the utility company? Or do you see a Gmail address, a Yahoo email address, something like that that just you wouldn't associate with a, a business? So once you have established that it is a credible email, uh, and you know it is from the utility company, you go ahead, you open the attachment, it's fine. But if you see now oh, there is something fishy about it, uh, it looks kind of weird, just give them a call. Give them a call, ask about the invoice, ask about if your account's overdue, and if they say no, then you know that email is not from them. We've got to trust our gut. That's my yes. feeling with a lot of the cyber risk. If it feels weird, it probably is weird. And if you clicked on it, don't just ignore it, right? Because like you said, a lot of times this malware, you have no idea. So what might be some indicators for me to figure out that I have something wrong? So what we recommend as a best practice is always to have antivirus installed. So no matter what you do, when you get a new computer, you unwrap it, uh, make sure you install antivirus. And that's not just for Windows where we see a lot of threads because so many people use Windows, people tend to target uh, uh, people that, that use uh, a computer with Windows. Do the same thing on a Mac. Um, just install it. It's better to be safe in the first place than sorry afterwards. So if you feel like you've been exposed to an email like that, you've opened the attachment, your antivirus can run a scan. It scans the whole system, and it will find something if something was installed. Okay, so my home computer always pops up with that update, your antivirus, and these little things. And I'm terrified to click on them, so I never do it, which always makes me worry that I'm actually exposing myself to more things that I'm not fixing. So what do you think on a personal computer? Do you go ahead, if it's your antivirus, accept the update, or just ignore it all the time because it's all scary? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, people ask it once in a while, and updates take long. You can't use your computer if you just turn it on for a minute and you want to use it. An update pops up that might take 10 minutes. Uh, best practice is always keep it up to date. Um, because it's not just malware, what we just talked about, but also um, the flaws in, in software products, in, in the operating systems, in the computers that we use. And people that uh, want to attack others and exploit them can use those flaws if they're public knowledge, uh, if you can use them in some way and exploit them in some way. So if you install an update, most likely the vendor of that software has already fixed that. It's in the update and you're good to go. Thanks, Daniel. So I guess those emails that tell me click here and you can get a free Starbucks gift card, I should probably not do that. That's what you're saying. Exactly. Yes, <laughs> now, definitely. Now, ransomware is a little different, right? I would know pretty quickly if I clicked on something that resulted in ransomware. Not necessarily. It can be the case. So you can contract them the same way. You can either download them from the internet or you get them as an email attachment. Uh, but what it does is actually it affects your personal files and even your family photos. So if you open the attachment or you download something and install it on your computer, what ransomware does is basically it destroys your personal documents, your personal files, and your family photos. It basically encrypts them. You literally are kidnapping my family. Yeah, that's what they're doing. And uh, what an attacker then usually does is 
they get in contact with you either through email or they put a really nice document on your desktop and that says, hey, you can't use your files anymore, your family photos are gone, but if you pay me, I'm going to release a code and that will restore your files. So that can be anywhere from $5,000, $10,000, or if they um, attack businesses, it can go up to half a million, a million, or even more that they're asking uh, for in order to restore those files again. So what and do you do? So I want to get my family back. What do I do if this happens? So there is actually not a lot you can do. If you have that on your computer, you either pay and get the photos back or you don't pay and you don't get the photos back. Uh, there's one very important thing that you can actually do to prevent this and that's to create backups of your files. So if you always have them backed up, you have them stored somewhere else on an external hard drive or something like that. If your computer gets compromised, if your files there get encrypted or destroyed, you can go back to your backup and you can restore them. Uh, it's, it's actually very interesting. About a year ago, um, I have a friend in Italy and he asked me for help one day and he said, hey, I can't access my files anymore. What's going on? If I open them, they're all like weird signs, weird characters in there. Uh, and I, I, I logged on to his computer and, and we looked at it together and he actually fell victim to ransomware. Oh my goodness. And the worst thing is he had no backup. So he lost his personal files and he lost all the family photos oh, that they no. had on the computer. Oh, I would, the backup's a great idea beyond just ransomware with disasters and computer hard drives crashing and fires and hurricanes. I, I would reiterate that idea of backups and redundancies on all those things that Definitely. are really important. So I like to go to the beach. I'm not really a big fan of fishing, but I don't think we're talking about that sort of fishing here when you mentioned that earlier. This is the one with the pH, right? That is absolutely correct. So yeah, when we talk about fishing, it's the same thing again. You get an email, usually there's a link in there. And if you click on that link, it leads to a sign-in website or a login page for, could be an online banking platform. Uh, and what these people are trying to do is they get you to, they want you to click on that link, uh, the, the website opens, the website looks exactly like the banks Exactly. online portal or, or sign in for, for online banking. They actually copy that website, set it up on a different uh, server, and then you click on it. It looks like your bank. You feel confident. You put in your password. You put in your username. You click on sign in, and they fished your information. That's where the term is. I had uh, that happen to me on my FedEx from. account. I got an email. and. I logged in, it said I needed to reset my password, and I thought, well, I don't know when I last reset the password, so I probably do need to reset the password. And as soon as I clicked on it, I went, that seems odd, and I did exactly what you said. I called FedEx, and they said, no, we would never send you an email like that. And even something as simple as FedEx, they would have had a great time uh, just selling things, uh, shipping things on our account. Yeah, and, and this, this actually has happened to myself multiple times from different banks. If you use banks as an example, um, I've received those emails. I knew immediately they couldn't be the, the right thing. Because your bank tells you they'd never do it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so you open them, and it's even baffling for me. They look exactly like the bank online banking sign-in page, and, and, and you can't really tell them apart. One thing uh, you, you can do to identify those is if you open the link and you actually look at the address bar of your web browser, you can see that there's something off. Uh, the, the name of the bank is either not spelled right or 
an I is all of a sudden an L or a dot com is all of a sudden a dot com dot something else. And that's how you can identify that. But they're, they're pretty fast. So if you punch in your username and password, you go ahead and sign in, you might receive an error message saying, oh, the bank is currently doing maintenance. We're currently not available. Try later. Doesn't ring a bell for you. You're okay. You're, you're planning on trying it later. But in the meantime, they actually already fished your username and password, logging on with your username and password to the actual online banking portal and potentially um, doing transactions. So I very rarely follow those links anymore. So as, as a bank, we try to make sure our customers know we would never send them an email asking them to do something like that. But I think it's good. I don't do that with most anything. If I get an email and it says, go here, to this website, I will usually go to my web browser and just type in that address myself so that I know I'm on the right landing page because those clicks scare me. Yeah, and that's a great thing to do. That's actually what I would recommend to either type it into your browser manually and then you're on the right page or you type it in manually, set it up as a bookmark and then just always use that bookmark in your browser. And social engineering, social engineering. I mean, I like to be social. I like to, you know, hang out. but. Um, Probably not what you're talking about there either. <laughs> That's absolutely right. This is actually the complete opposite. Here, attackers are trying to manipulate people into performing some type of action that they want them to, to perform or disclose information. So that could be, could be online. They could send you an email. They could even send you a text message, give you a call. There are various channels that those can come through. Social engineering has a cybersecurity risk to it um, in that they're trying to gather information, but it, they're not always doing it at my computer, right? Exactly. So it, it can go either way. And, and here's how it usually goes. If it's on your computer, it can be a friendly email. Or, or if it's outside of your computer, it could be a text message. It could be a call. It could be sh someone showing up at your doorstep at your house or your business trying to get information. So usually the way it goes is they're trying to start a friendly conversation. They're v usually very friendly. Um, they even say that you have a mutual friend or they know someone that you know or they went to the same high school or the same university or they, they try to make some type of connection with you so you don't feel like they're a stranger. And then usually they, they can either uh, gossip about something and, and getting you to disclosing something about your business or business practices or, or also information about your personal life. And then they just try to gather that information from you and then later on use it against you in some ways. So if we think about email, could be that way, text messages or, or um, calls. But if they actually come to your house or show up at your business, they might install a surveillance device or they might copy any keys or, or do something, whatever they're doing, that later on they can use against you to exploit you. It can be information related. It can be something that they want to steal or something along those lines. With the cell phones, everyone has their cell phone on them all the time. It seems so easy for someone like that just to start snapping pictures without you even realizing it and gathering information in that way. So we're very careful as a bank about material that's on desks and on computers because it's easy to walk past windows or walk past desks and gather information that, that can be used in a harmful way. Yeah, that's always a great practice to do it that way. Yeah, shredding. Shredding's good. Yes, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> now, stories are always fun. Stories help us 
help us uh, appreciate what we need to watch out for. Do you have some good stories you could share with us? Um, sure. If I uh, think back, uh, an email that we got a while ago, I think our sales department received it, uh, was basically saying, hey, um, I work for this and that company. We lost access to our account that we have with you. Um, I'm actually new at my job, so the, the predecessors didn't leave any credentials or anything around. Oh, so I can't, classic. yeah, I, I can't get in the account, um, and and we don't really have much information stored about the relationship that we have. Can you send over any contracts and agreements that you have, or any account information to help us out, get an idea what my predecessor did uh, in, in terms of business with you? And can you also reset the password on the account so I can get back into the account? That's a classic example wow. of trying to hijack an account, get into the account, and either Sounds retrieve legit. information, yeah, or, or steal any information, use it against that company that they're impersonating. So what'd your sales team do? Uh, our sales team is trained very well. <laughs> <laughs> training and the business cut. Yes, for sure. Uh, training definitely uh, a big thing. Uh, if you if you run a business or if you're in charge of security at a business, uh, one thing that is I would say nowadays the most important thing since security systems have gotten so sophisticated or security attacks have gotten so sophisticated and also security systems have gotten uh, sophisticated, but the weakest link tends to be the employee. And that training, security awareness training, that's where you shouldn't save money on. Because they're trying to serve the customer, they're trying to do their job the best way, they're, they're, they're trying to make sure they're responsive, and um, unfortunately sometimes that can lead to cyber risk. Yeah, and, and interestingly, one thing that we, we uh, see a lot outside of that, that sales example that I just got is we see that a lot of these attackers target executive staff. We were CEOs. talking about that before exactly. we started, that we had one this morning, in fact. <laughs> yes, so what, they, what they're doing, they're impersonating the CEO. They impersonate someone from the executive team and then they send emails either to the finance team asking them to do some type of transaction transfer money to a certain account or they ask employees that don't have a lot of interaction with executive staff and don't know necessarily what's going on and they ask them to purchase something could be gift cards could be something else and then either mail them somewhere or drop them off somewhere and obviously it's not the CEO re uh, requesting that. Yeah, that sounds very familiar. One piece of advice I have there is once you identify an email like that, that it's actually not coming from the person that uh, is saying it's coming from, is don't respond. Don't engage with them. Don't email back. Don't text back. Um, if you get it as a voicemail message, don't call back because that gives the other side uh, some type of assurance that, that you're there, that it's not just an empty email address that they emailed uh, and nobody's monitoring it or it's an employee that's no longer with the company. They actually know that someone is screening those emails, so do not reply back. Because one uh, important thing there is, especially in, in the business world, whatever you send back, they can use against you. And usually it's not the content, it is your email signature. They know how the email signatures look like internally, so they just copy your email signature, they adjust it for their purposes, and then impersonate someone So just someone responding else. is enough, even if I don't yes. click. Exactly. I've validated I exist, and that's a legitimate domain. 
So what about with the phone? So Invoca does, um, obviously you guys are experts in phone tracking and marketing, and I get a lot of spammy phone calls. Um, any advice there? Yes, definitely. So if you get a lot of these phone calls, that there are multiple things you can do. One is the smartphones that we have today, you, you can usually block the number so they're not calling you back. Uh, some use the same number over and over, and some rotate through numbers. So annoying. Yes, it's very difficult if, if they're calling from a different number every single time to actually turn that off. So you're aware of it, which is good. At that point, it's more of an annoyance that they keep calling you. Um, but that's one thing. You could report it back to your um, phone service provider and see if they have any recommendations or can put anything in place to, uh, to pre prevent that from happening. But if you're not sure you're getting these calls, just think about the person that is calling. Are they calling from a business? Would the business call you in that way uh, when they uh, perform their services and, and offer their, their services, would they call you that way? Does the content of the call or, or kind of the underlying message, does it make sense? Do they ask you for personal information on that call? Thinking about social security number, um, your email address, your home address. Um, it, there's actually an interesting thing. I got called once. It was a legitimate call from a bank. Mm -hmm. So they actually called me, and the person calling me said, oh, can you verify your social security number for me? What? And it was a legitimate call because I knew the person that was calling. And I'm like, you called me. I cannot verify my social <laughs> right. security number right. to you. It's something else if I dialed the number on the bank website and I called you exactly. and they want to verify my identity before they provide any information. But it was the other way around. So I'm like, no, that's not going to happen. Like the <laughs> credit card fraud things, I don't even trust those anymore when they call. I won't answer the phone and I call back on the number on the back of my credit card because yeah. I'm so skeptical about any of it being legit. The texts scare me too because they some of the texts I get are not anything that I am soliciting. And I get these texts that are very uncomfortable and I always worry on a text that I might accidentally respond. Uh, it's so easy in this land of, of doing that. So I guess they can do the same thing though. I could have a bunch of ransomware or malware on my phone from a text? Uh, it is possible uh, from a text. I haven't seen any, uh, I would say, any cases where that was actually possible. I'm sure anything is possible these days, uh, depending on what kind of phone you have and what kind of operating system it runs. Um, I think what's more concerning, sometimes they include links in the text messages. So if you yes. just uh, scroll through your text messages and you tap on one of the links and then the web browser opens and it opens a website, that's when usually it automatically download something or, or does something uh, that installs um, something on your phone. Have to learn to slow down. If it's really important, the person's going to call us back or email us again or send us a text message. That's been a big thing for me with embracing cybersecurity and protecting myself and the bank and educating our employees has been it's okay if you think something's spam and you miss it. It's better to miss it than to put malware on the entire network or your own personal devices. And um, that has worked really well for uh, the bank and for myself is when in doubt, just delete it. Just delete it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I would definitely recommend that. Uh, do not engage. Do not respond. Uh, if it's from a coworker, just talk to them face to face if they're nearby, if it doesn't feel right. 
uh, or if it's an, an external party, if it's a business or something like that, just go to their website, call their number, and just ask them. Yeah, the fraudsters have gotten smarter. It used to be you could look for typos, report English, and poor grammar. That's not so much anymore. These things that come through, look, they look good. Yes, they do. They've gotten sophisticated over the years. Yeah. Any last advice or good stories to share with us? I mean, what I would advise to consumers is definitely what I said before. Make sure you have an antivirus software installed on your computer. Your computer is up to date. So that's not just your, your laptop or your PC at home, but also your phone. Make sure you install the newest um, updates that come out. So if there is anything uh, wrong with the software, if there are any vulnerabilities or any, any bugs in there, uh, that, that those get fixed and closed and, and can't be exploited. Uh, one important thing is, and that's a huge thing, it is inconvenient, but don't reuse passwords across oh. websites. <laughs> can't I can't handle that much. It's so much to remember. I know. It's so convenient but so incredibly dangerous. And there are actually good things out there that you can do. You can use a, a password manager software. So the big ones out there are like 1Password or Dashlane or LastPass. Uh, and you can install them. They generate a password for you for every website that you go to. They actually store them in a vault that's secure. And when you go to that website, they automatically fill it in. You don't even have to remember them, and they log you in. That way, you have different passwords on different websites. If one website gets compromised, that doesn't mean that they can use the password to log into all your other accounts. So you mean I shouldn't have them in a notebook that I carry around all the time? And <laughs> right, yeah, if, the, if that notebook gets lost, then they have access to everything. We so call if that you, the holy grail yeah, around our office. That is definitely the holy grail. Um, and, even for these passwords manager, password managers, you have to set up a master password to actually get into that vault and, and access your different passwords. So there are a few good rules out there on how you can come up with a complex password, and it's not the password or, or the name of your pet or the name of your, your dad or your mom or something like that. Um, one good rule there is if you come up with a long sentence, uh, one thing I, I, I thought of here is you, you could use, like, next year I want to get a 20% raise. And then you just <laughs> use the initials of, of um, every word. Is that like putting it in the universe and maybe it'll happen too? Exactly. Then, then you, you remember it every time you log into your, your password manager. Um, but that way you can use it. You can use even the whole sentence as a, as a password or you just use the initials and the 20% the sign. You put an exclamation point at the end. Um, or what you can do is just make up a password by combining random words like pizza and then a dot and then green and a dot and Africa and a dot and then a number like 85 or something like that. So for the listeners out there, don't use the examples I use, but you can come up <laughs> or with else something. Daniel's coming yeah. on into your network. <laughs> Watch out. Yeah. Um, and then uh, one important thing, and a lot of businesses do that nowadays, is offer two-factor, multi-factor authentication. So if you log into a website, username and password, you put that in, you sign in, they actually send you a code to your smartphone, and you have to put that in addition. So even if someone were to compromise uh, your password, they get your password, they can't get the code on the phone. Yeah, that one's, that one's always tricky for businesses. As a bank, we want to do that because we want to protect our customers' financial well-being and um, 
balancing it with the convenience. So um, that's a conversation we have a lot of times of just trying to encourage people that we're trying to protect them and their money, even though it might take an extra step or two. Multi-factor is definitely becoming more and more common and more and more things. So um, yeah. that's a good thing. When you're offered that, you should take it because um, it's protecting you. Daniel, this has been great. I really appreciate your time. I hope that we have shared some some tips for our listeners that they can use to protect themselves and their businesses and appreciate it. Thanks a yeah, lot. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thanks for being here.